Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for BVAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their BVAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. So today we're talking with Julie, and Julie is one of the hosts of the VBAC link. So we are going to talk a little bit about what the VBAC link is and some of the different courses that they offer, and then also listen to Julie's home birth after cesarean stories. So Julie, if you just want to give us a little bit of an introduction, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's not often anymore that I'm on anyone else's podcast. And so it's really fun to be sharing my story and kind of be on the other side. It's also a little bit awkward. So I guess bear with me if I, if I have a hard time being the guest instead of the host, right? <laughs> so um, a little bit about me. I'm, I'm a mom of four. I am that crazy lady that had four kids really close together. Right now, they're ages seven, five, four, and three. Obviously, my first birth was a cesarean, which is why I'm here. And then I had three H-backs at home. But um, my first V-back at home H-back, I had a really amazing doula with me. She was, she was, I call her my security blanket. Because when she walked in the room, I, it's like I had everything I needed. And my body could just relax. Everything got regular really fast. And everything was so smooth. And so I knew like right after that birth, I wanted to be that for other people. I wanted to be that security blanket for other people that they just have that peace and strength and they know that someone's there on their side with them. And so I became a doula shortly after that. And then I got pregnant again by surprise. That's actually really why my babies are so close together is because number three was a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I, and I kept, you know, getting pregnant, taking doula clients, getting pregnant, taking doula clients. And then once my last baby was done, well, I guess I should kind of backtrack and say coming off of VBAC into doula work, I almost instantly specialized in VBAC. I had done so much work to get ready for my own VBAC as far as knowledge and provide. I switched providers three times. I, you know, hired a doula. I interviewed like five midwives before I picked one for my home birth. And I just knew so much about VBAC already. So it was just a natural thing for me to have VBAC birth support is like my niche, I guess you could say. And, but I always knew it kind of wanted something. I wanted to do something bigger with it. I just wanted something bigger than just my local community. Well, I still love supporting local families. I just felt like there was just more. And so after my last baby was born three years ago, just, a, a, it's been three years and a couple weeks, actually. Um, I knew it was time. So I reached out to my friend, Megan, who had just had a VBAC after two C-sections and super long story short, we created this thing that is now really kind of big <laughs> it's called it's the awesome. VBAC link <laughs> and we have a podcast and we have um, VBAC education courses for both doulas and parents we have social media accounts YouTube videos we have newsletters blogs I mean it, we're just all about the VBAC world so it's been really exciting to see it grow and to see the need for it and we thought we were just going to stay in our home state of Utah and then we realized how big the need was and we quickly switched from Utah VBAC link to the VBAC link. And, um, it's just been a fun journey and it's, it's really fun. Just really knowing that you're helping people like you get a message and say from someone who says 
your podcast really allowed me to find my voice. Like that is a big deal. And it just makes me so happy. And, and obviously my other half, I call her my other business half. Um, Megan has, is just really incredible support as well. So yeah, I guess that's a little bit about me. My favorite things to do are watch Netflix and eat snacks all by myself after my kids <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> other than that, I don't really have any hobbies. <laughs> Doula work and the be back link and business life and mom life. I, yeah, that's my hobbies, Netflix and food, man. After the kids go to bed. <laughs> Definitely. That's your alone time. The only time it you is. get yourself in the day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I know just speaking from my personal experience. So I was introduced to the VBAC link through a friend of mine who was going for a her VBAC after having two C-sections. And then this was while, or this was shortly after I had my son. And I my son was born, he was a C-section. And so I, I kind of went through my birth story in my, the first episode of this podcast, but I, I didn't realize how many people had VBACs. Um, I mean, I knew that it was a thing, but I don't live in the most supportive area hospital wise for VBACs. There's definitely some providers that are more supportive than others. And I know that that's fairly common just everywhere, but I, I didn't realize how many people actually had VBACs. And then um, one of my passions, because my son was supposed to be a home birth baby, and then we transferred and had a C-section, I, I still wanted that chance to have my home birth. And I didn't think that that was something that I could ever do. I didn't realize that yeah. people had home births after having a C-section either. Mm -hmm. That's even less common or less talked about than a VBAC at the hospital. And so when I started listening to the VBAC podcast by recommendation from this friend of mine, that's kind of when my eyes opened like, oh, women are actually out there doing this. Like the, there's this whole platform it's out there It's a real life thing. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was so eye-opening to me and it, it kind of made me feel dumb in a way that I was like, I didn't, like, how did I not realize this? How did I not realize that there's all these other women out there who have had these same experiences and to bring all of them together in one place. I know I'm in your guys' Facebook group um, and that's been an immense system of support for me too. Just listening, well, seeing everybody's stories, listening to the stories on the podcast, but then being able to go into this group and ask questions or get responses from women who have actually been in my shoes before, That's that's been really huge for me too. So First of all, thank you for everything that you guys oh, have done. Oh, thank you. Because, <laughs> yes, it's. I think that it's a huge, a huge thing that you guys are doing. Um, and then on the doula side of things, I enrolled in the doula program as well too. So I'm about halfway through right now. I'm not completely finished, but that has been awesome too. Just to have that knowledge to be able to share with clients that I'm working with as a doula, because like you said, you you kind of niched down and found your specialty in wanting to support VBACs. And that's become a passion of mine too, is wanting to support women who want VBACs. And now even more so with all of the research I've done myself for wanting a home birth after my C-section, being able to work with women who also want a home birth after their C-section has been awesome. It's been so fun. Yeah. It's, 
I just say like VVAX are the best. They're just the best. Like I think, well, all birth is the best, but VVAX just have their special thing about them because there's so much opposition. There's so much doubt, usually coming from friends, friends and family as well. Parents sometimes have to search far and wide for a provider that will support them. I mean, in Utah, we're really lucky because we have lots of great options, both in hospital and out, out of hospital. We don't have state restrictions on um where a VBAC can happen. I mean, we, we're really, really lucky. There's there's a, several good providers to choose from, but other parts of the country, um, especially like in the deep South and in the Northeast, it's a little, it's harder. And sometimes with VBAC bans, like there's hot sometimes, or de facto VBAC bans, which means the hospital will allow VBAC, but no providers will. And so you're kind of just out yeah, of luck. Options. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's where... That's what we want to do. We want to educate people. We want to share the evidence-based information with them. We want to, for, for parents, give them a voice and let them know that they can stand up for themselves and encourage conversation with their providers so they can actually tell if their provider's in line with what they want or not. And if they're not in line, then either have the um, strength to find a new provider or know what nuances their provider has and know how to work around those nuances in order to get their birth. And as, as far as the doula side, I know when I got right into doula work in my doula community, it was really, really strong. There's so many doulas around and doulas like me, I'm a brand new baby doula, but I had doulas that had been doulas for five and 10 years asking me questions about VBAC. And I'm like, these, I'm like, there are birth workers out there that, I mean, doula trainings, basic general doula trainings don't go into VBAC and cesarean as much as they need to. And they don't have time. Like our training is a five to six hour self-paced course. And it's just not a lot of time to add into your standard typical doula training. And so that's what we aim to address. Bust the myths about VBAC and repeat cesarean and how to help your client process through traumatic births and how to navigate through a birth community that is not VBAC supportive. I mean, and so many other things in our courses, but yeah, that's what we do. That's what we try to do is help people find their voice and help doulas support their VBAC clients or clients birthing after the cesarean with more confidence and know that they're being effective in, in the processing and information that they're giving them. So you said you guys have YouTube videos and Instagram and Facebook and all of that stuff. And then what is your main, um, what is your main website? Is it just the vbacklink.com? Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Just the vbacklink.com. And we're on like every social platform <laughs> and just search for the vbacklink. It's, we don't have any special sneaky handles for anything, but we're on Pinterest and, and, um, Twitter. We tweet sometimes like very rarely, but you're on Twitter, give us a follow. I think we only have like 18 followers. <laughs> Twitter's not <laughs> my jam. <laughs> don't really post. Like I think our blogs automatically post to Twitter now. So there's that. But um, but yeah, give us a follow wherever you your favorite social media platform is because we will be there. But we're mainly alive on Instagram um, and Facebook and especially our Facebook community. We, it's just called the VBAC Link community. Yep. And that's a good one. I'm, I'm in that one. And that's the yeah. one I was talking about that I, I like having – the conversations with actual other people that have been through these things before rather than just, I mean, I, I love picking up a book and reading and learning mm -hmm. that way, but it's, it's just a different type of learning when you can actually talk to other women who have been in your shoes before or can offer advice. Or even I see a lot of posts, women will be like, 
oh, I'm in labor. I'm in labor. This is happening. Think of me, send me positive vibes, pray for me, whatever it is. And so having that community of encouragement and knowing that other women are out there thinking of you while you're in labor and they're kind of there with you in that way throughout that whole process, that can be really powerful too. So I like that side of it as well. Yeah. Thank you. We really like run a tight ship in our VBAC community. We don't put up with we don't put up with name calling, with bullying, with um, disrespectful conversation. We like encourage, like disagreements are healthy and we can all learn from them, right? But as soon as it's disrespectful, we shut down comments. We've had to block and remove people from the group for just being too mean to each other. I know it kind of maybe sounds like you're being mean to me. Um, <laughs> but no, really, we we want to keep a nice, positive, healthy tone in that community when where parents and doulas can go and feel safe and supported in their choices. So yeah. Awesome. Well, let's jump into your birth stories. So wherever you want to start with all that, just take us there. Gosh, it's been so long. Like I said, my oldest is going to turn eight in just a couple months. And so thinking back on his birth, gosh, I think I might start like in the middle of the story kind of, because having my cesarean, um, obviously it was unplanned. I did not expect it. But after my VBAC, I learned to view my cesarean in a completely different way and not necessarily because I had had like a quote unquote successful VBAC, but I think it was because just um, having a completely different birth experience allowed me a different perspective. And I'll share a little bit about that um, later, I guess, as I go through my story. And if I forget, then just please remind me because (laughs) I might be a little scatterbrained sometimes. Um, Yeah. So my first birth was a cesarean. I was freshly married, not freshly married. It was two years after we got married. We had tried for a while to get pregnant and it took Clomid, uh, three rounds of Clomid. And finally we got pregnant and, um, I was working a full-time job and like a really full-time job. I say extra full-time job because I was working 50 to 60 hour weeks in the technology field. And I was, I am such a stubborn woman. I, even though I was like 30 plus weeks pregnant, we were getting ready for this massive technology rollout across our whole company. There's like 6,000 people in our company and we were doing like user testing and um, product development and all sorts of things. And I'm sitting here waddling around with my big old belly and in like uh, information technology field is predominantly male. And so I was already a woman in a leadership position in a predominantly male field of work. And so I was determined to not show any signs of weakness. Okay. I was so stubborn. I was like walking around. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm going to do everything. I'm not going to ask for breaks. I'm not going to call in sick. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to work as hard as I can because that's what, that's what everybody else is doing. And I felt like I don't deserve any special treatment because I'm a woman and I will never request any special treatment because I'm a woman. Right. Even though I wasn't super pregnant. (laughs) And I've been working on my feet for 50 to 60 hours a week. But anyways, um, but I say that because there was one day at work, my blood pressure, like the appointment before, I think I was like 34 weeks of pregnant at this point, my blood pressure at the appointment before that had been a little on the high side, not high, high, but a little bit like higher than normal for me. So I had got to work at six o'clock in the morning. We were just setting up workstations for users to come in and test the new environment. And 
I hadn't like eaten anything since breakfast. It was noon and lunchtime. And I like went to my manager and I like felt so vulnerable because I, this, I was about to ask for some preference. Right. And I'm like, okay. Um, I know that like, this is a really big deal right now, but I have a massive headache and I was wondering if it's okay if I take an hour, get some food, get off my feet for a little bit and then come right back to work. And so my manager's like, oh my gosh, yes, please. Like he was totally understandable. He, he's a dad, right? His wife's been pregnant a couple of times. Um, so he's like, yeah, no problem. Just come back whenever you're ready. So I went and got some soup and I called my doctor on the way home. And I was like, you know, I have a really big headache and Tylenol is pretty much a placebo. And is there anything else I can do to get my headache to go away? That's what I was worried about getting my headache to go away so I could go back to birth. Right. So she's like, well, let me check with the doctor and I'll give you a call back. So I went home, I ate my soup and they called me back and they're like, well, we want you to come in because you had kind of a high blood pressure reading and we want to make sure that your headache isn't because of blood pressure. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my manager is going to hate me. And I had to call and tell him that they want me to come in. I'm not going to be able to go back to work. And turns out I did not go back to work for a very long time after that <laughs> because um, they wanted me to come in for a non-stress test. Baby was pretty much flat. Not a, like he was like barely passing the heart rate variability test that they like to see. I was on the non-stress test for like two or three hours just waiting to see if this baby active and my blood pressure was super high. And I had started having like pitted edema where like it'll, you have swelling and then like you poke a hole in it and like the hole doesn't come out. <laughs> Not very good for being pregnant. Um, so I ended up being diagnosed with preeclampsia and put on bed rest. And my doctor basically told me that we're going to have a baby at 36 weeks if we can control your blood pressure. So I was on a really high prescription of a blood pressure medication. Um, it was barely keeping my blood pressure in range. And then the day we went in that he said like the, like my 36 week appointment, like I almost didn't even bring my hospital back. My husband's like, um, didn't he say he was going to induce you at 36 weeks? And I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm feeling great because the thing about preeclampsia is you don't really feel bad. Like you have headaches and stuff, but like, I just didn't feel like bad enough, like better. So I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever because I feel perfectly healthy. Um, even though like now I'm looking back and I'm like, I probably should have taken bed rest a little more seriously, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, fine. Like I told my husband, we're going to pack our hospital bag, but I'm just telling you, we're probably just going to be coming home because it just doesn't feel like it's time to have a baby yet. And we go in and sure enough, um, he's like, okay, let's, let's induce you today. And I was like, well, drat, <laughs> I guess that's, I guess that's happening. So <clears throat> I was 36 weeks on the dot and you know, you know, the deal, they started Cytotec overnight. They in, did the three rounds of Cytotec inserted vaginally. And then in the morning started Pitocin and I just flat on my back the whole time. Didn't get a lot of sleep. My mom and my mother-in-law came in at one point and I had a doula. Um, <laughs> I had hired a doula, but at that point I like, I knew a doula was good, but I didn't know and understand the difference between a $300 doula and an $800 doula. Now doulas are a little more expensive than that, but I picked a $300 doula who had only been to a couple births. None of them were unmedicated, which is what type of birth I wanted to do. And, um, in a hospital that I later learned was the highest cesarean rate in the state with the highest induction rate in the state. Now, not saying that I, I mean, now knowing now, like I know preeclampsia is a valid reason for induction for sure. Um, but I, I would have really liked to know those things. 
beforehand, you know? And so, um, so I just hired the $300 doula because I just didn't understand the difference that experience brings, especially like with complicated situations. Right. And so she came and she brought my husband a sandwich and we just chatted and talked and she was also a massage therapist. So she rubbed my feet and then they kept checking me and broke my water and that whole jazz. And it was late in the afternoon and I was four centimeters. I had been four centimeters for a little while. And my doctor came in and he checked my cervix. And then he's like, you know, you're still four centimeters. You're not progressing. We're going to have to do a C-section. And up until that point, I had never even considered that I would probably maybe need to have a C-section. Like the thought never crossed my mind. I took a hypnobirthing class. I practiced every night. My And it was hard for me because I have a very anxious mind, okay? And I was like, going to go in and have this beautiful hypnobirth, right? Even though I was going to be induced. Even though I had preeclampsia, right? But my body just wasn't ready. And so I cried, as I think most people do when they when it's that decision point, right? Um. But man, it was really rough because my hospital had a policy where you spend two hours in the recovery room, but because my baby was a 36 weeker and he was four pounds, 10 ounces. So small for gestational age, even though he was a 36 weeker, which is probably because of my high blood pressure, he had to go to the nursery or it, it wasn't a NICU. It was just like a level two nursery or something, I think, but he was there to be monitored and make sure his blood sugar was good. And he was hooked up to all sorts of things. And so, and here I was spending two hours in the recovery room with nobody, nobody was with me. And by the time I got to see my baby, like really get a good look at him, my mom, my mother-in-law and my husband had all gotten to hold him. And I think that's still like the hardest part for me, like looking back and being like, I was the fourth one in my family to hold my baby. Now I'm glad, I'm so glad that there were people there that loved him, that were with him. But I feel like I was kind of robbed of that chance. Now the hospitals changed policies. Oh, sorry. What was that? I was just going to say, yeah, you want that for yourself. You want to hold your baby. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. And so I was like so drugged up and out of it. We, I held them long enough to snap a few really awful family pictures. You know, I, my face is, I'm so swollen from the magnesium drip and everything they had me on. Um, I look like the marshmallow man, like literally like, like five people in this whole entire world have seen our first pictures together. Cause it's just awful. But, and then I went back to bed and I went, I, they wheeled me into my room. I went to sleep and slept the whole night. They didn't wake me up to nurse him. They didn't in anything. They just automatically went to bottle feeding him to help his blood sugars, which I guess were problematic or whatever, but um, I didn't get to hold him again until the next morning. And I was just so out of it. And so he was in the nursery for two weeks and just, I don't even know why, to be honest. Like, I think he probably could have come home sooner, but, um, I won't digress into my theories on why they kept him, but, um, but came home and it was, it was really, really simple recovery. It wasn't complicated. I didn't have any big, um, pains or struggles with my cesarean. I was up and walking around the next day. I, I, I feel like I healed fairly well. Um, and so recovery wasn't really that, that much of a struggle for me. And plus I only had one kid. And so it's like, 
you, what do you do? I, I literally laid on the couch and watched pretty little wires with my baby on my chest for six weeks. <laughs> That's what I did postpartum too. We watched a lot of Netflix yes. and a lot of snuggles. And it was great, right? It was, it was beautiful. And I didn't, Honestly, um, when I, we got pregnant again, I did not I did not know that VBAC was like an issue. Like I just always like in my mind, I don't think I ever thought like, oh, I'm going to have to have repeat cesareans again. I just always thought, okay, cesarean and then go and try a vaginal birth again. I didn't realize it was so political until I started talking about it with my providers and my doctor and my in-laws and my mom. And everyone has uh, a different opinion. Because everyone has a different opinion. And most of them are based on fear because, you know, uterine rupture, while it is very rare, and while catastrophic uterine rupture is even more rare, um, it does happen. And it's a risk, but it's not as big of a risk as some other things in birth. And anyways, I'm not going to go off on my, that, that that tangent either. If you want to know, then I have a blog about uterine rupture. Just you Google uterine rupture VBAC and it will show up on the first page of Google for you. Then you'll get to know my feelings on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just always thought it was a thing. So I left my provider and I switched to a midwife group in hospital and then what point was that at in your pregnancy? Oh, it was, I think I don't, I honestly don't think I even went back to my first, my C-section provider. I think I just went right to the midwife group, but it was this in the same like hospital group. It was a different hospital, but in the same like group of hospitals. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and the midwife group had like 12 midwives in it and they all had different opinions. Like every time I wanted to come see them, like one of the midwives said, like when I was, I, my first week ultrasound appointment or whatever, you know, the first like uh, dating scan, that's what they call it. They're like, oh, your BMI is over 30. So, um, your next visit, we're going to want you to do a glucose test to make sure you don't have gestational diabetes. And I mean, now I'm just, now I have different thoughts than I did then. And I'm like, okay. But then my next visit, the midwife, when I asked her about the gestational diabetes test, she's like, no, why would we do a gestational diabetes test in your first trimester? And I was like, okay, so these people are obviously on the same page. Yeah, not <laughs> not communicating. And so then um I kept seeing them for a couple months and then I started really looking into home birth. And I was joined the like local Facebook groups. Um this is when I think Facebook groups are really kind of picking up and becoming more common thing for people to go to instead of like the bulletin board groups or whatever. And I learned about some really cool out of hospital midwives. And so I asked, um, <laughs> I remember when I went to my next appointment with the hospital midwives, I asked my hospital midwife, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about switching and having an out of hospital birth. Like, what do you think about that? Because I, I really wanted to know where her thoughts were. Like I was genuinely interested. And she like put her hands on her chair and she was like, if you have a home birth and your uterus ruptures, you and your baby will die. Like wow. she said it just like that, like, so matter of fact, like doom and gloom. And like, I honestly, I did not know whether to laugh or like, I don't get caught off guard very often, but I was caught off guard because I knew that that was a, just a whole bunch of misinformation because I had studied up enough on home birth safety and VBAC safety. And I knew that most uterine ruptures, there's plenty of time to get the baby out. And by plenty of time, I don't mean like hours, although some are hours, but you know, even in an emergent situation, you know, 10 minute drive to the hospital, um, in a very speedy way through the night is, um, plenty of time. Right. And 
so I just kind of caught off guard. I was like, okay, well, that's that. And I walked out of the hospital and never came back. <laughs> I called my husband um, after that appointment in the parking lot. And I'm like, you will not believe what this midwife just told me. And I told him and he's like, well, that's why we're switching to home birth. And I was like, oh my gosh, he really is on board with home birth. <laughs> Had he you know, been exposed to home birth at all prior to this? No, what were his, thoughts? His, his mom was induced for every child on her due date, gave vaginal birth, gave birth vaginally every time, had the epidural, the whole shebang. Like, that's it. And some some women are like that and it works out perfectly and lucky them, <laughs> you know? But in the beginning, when I started like really thinking about switching, I talked to him and I wanted to have like conversations with him. And me and my husband make decisions very differently. I, I can usually like look at a set of facts and data and information to make a decision fairly quickly, but he takes a lot more time. And so I kept trying to like have this discussion about home birth. And he's like, ah, I, I haven't looked into it enough yet. I haven't looked into it enough yet. Every time he's like, oh, I haven't taken the time. And so one time I, I just sat down and I told him, I looked him square in the face and I said, listen, okay, I am going to have a home birth. And I will let you wait. I will let you take as much time as you need to get comfortable with that and have a discussion with me about that. But this is what's going to happen. I really want you on board with it. And so it's time for you to start looking into it so we can have an educated conversation. And he looked into it enough, not as much as me, definitely, but enough to feel comfortable with it. And, and that was that. Um, so I was totally planning on going like to 42 weeks, like in my mind, I was like 42 weeks. I'm like, my blood pressure is good. I'm feeling healthy. By that time I was a stay at home mom. So I didn't work. Um, I had my little, and you know, I guess he was between one and two when I was pregnant. Right. So he had, he turned two a month after my second was born. So they're almost two years apart. And so it's like that really fun, like 18 month stage where they're like figuring out their, their lives and their personalities and things. And, and I mean, there were times where we would lay in bed and he would watch Daniel Tiger on the iPad while I slept in, you know, after my husband went to work. But my, I was like 37 weeks pregnant and my husband's grandma passed away. She was in a nursing home and it, it was something we were expecting. It, um, so we had, were planning a funeral and my sister-in-law was also planning her wedding. So she was getting married a week after a week and a half after the grandma had passed away. And so we were planning a wedding and a funeral. And then I was going to have a baby sometime after that. Right. And so the whole family was coming into town and everyone's asking me like, Oh, how are you feeling? When's your C-section scheduled? I'm like, no, I'm actually going to have a vaginal birth this time. And even better, I'm having it at home. And everyone's like, Oh, you're so brave. And I hate when people call me brave. I'm like, no, I'm not brave because I'm just I'm just making, I'm making really good, smart decisions here. Like I really am. And bravery has nothing to do with it. It's just a matter of preference and, and knowledge. And I feel like brave implies like that you're doing something dumb, right? Like or super, risky. super risky. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So anyways, we had grandma's funeral on a Thursday and then on Friday, no, wait, on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we drove up um, to Bear Lake, which is about two hours away from where we live and um, did her interment up there. Like she was going to be buried up there by the lake because we go up there every summer and it's just a very special place for her. And so we drove up there and back. So it was two hours both way with a, with a one-year-old being 38 weeks pregnant. Right. And just a lot of driving. And I was like having some cramping and I'm like, okay, 
just a lot of driving, no problem. And then the next day, which was a Friday, we went up to Logan, Utah, which is an hour and a half drive with a one-year-old, 38 weeks pregnant. And on the way up to the wedding dinner, we, um, I was like, whoa, that was a really strong Braxton Hicks. Cause I've been having Braxton Hicks contractions. I was really excited about them. I'm like, oh, my body's working. This is so awesome. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's really strong Braxton Hicks. Oh my gosh. We've been doing so much driving. Like I, this is my, my body's definitely ready for a rest after this. And then a little while later, oh, there was a really strong Braxton Hicks contraction again. That was really weird. They're getting, they're stronger. That's so strange. I just, these Braxton Hicks, you just never know what's going on with them. And then by the time I had the third one like that, my husband was like, um, should we be timing these? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm only 38 weeks pregnant. There's no way that I am in labor right now. This is obviously not labor. And so then the next time again, I'm like, oh, like just holding my tummy, like, man, these are really kind of different. And he's like, that was just 10 minutes from the last one. And then I'm like 10 minutes. I mean, that could, I mean, like that could be early labor. So I got my little contraction time around. They were sure enough. They were coming like 10 minutes apart, like eight to 12 minutes apart the whole way up and at the wedding dinner and the whole way back. Um, and looking back now I can see like, yeah, that was probably early labor for me. So like I was texting my midwife and telling her what's going on and, and my doula and, and they're probably like, they joke with me now. They're like, Oh yeah. First time she's cause I was like laboring like a first time mom. Right. And so oh silly first time mom, she's only 38 weeks. Oh, she's having some Braxton Hicks. And I thought I was too. And <laughs> she's like, okay, put your feet up, make sure you're drinking plenty of water. Um, and so I'm at this wedding dinner with my feet up on a chair, um, making people go give me water. Right. She's like so embarrassing. Um, then we go home from the wedding dinner. I took a bath from Epsom with Epsom salts and things kind of died down. And then I wake up at five o'clock in the morning to my water breaking. It was the Saturday, the day of the wedding. <laughs> so we had a funeral and then two, and then two days later, a wedding. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is fine. I'm like, everything's fine. I'm going to shower. I'm going to start getting ready for the wedding. Well, first I was like, first I tried to go back to sleep, but it just wasn't working. So I was like, you know, some women wait 12 to 24 hours before labor starts after their water breaks. So oh, I'm just so going to shower. You had every intention of like going to the oh, wedding still? Did I mention that I'm stubborn? <laughs> <laughs> and um, we are Latter-day Saints. And so my sister-in-law was getting married in one of our temples which you go in and it's very sacred space and very sacred ceremony and definitely not a place to have a baby. <laughs> not, not, not like I, and it wasn't just like I could walk out into the parking lot and you know, I just couldn't just once you're in, you're in until the stuff's done, then you're out. Right. Um, so, but I was like determined. I was like, my, my contractions are very, very irregular right now. I'm just going to shower, get ready. So I was like blow drying my hair when my doula shows up and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like the wedding's in just like four or five hours. I'm not in labor. I'm like not even in active labor yet. <laughs> like I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I mean, I was being stubborn me. Like I, I was really in denial, but then when she got there, like things became like five to six minutes apart, you know, nice a minute long, um, it wasn't long before I like had to really stop and start breathing through them and then tell everyone to shut up while I was having a contraction so I could focus. Um, <laughs> it was a pretty textbook labor, you know, I mean, like if you were to look up how labor should progress and how things should go, um, it was very straightforward. Um, I pushed for two hours. I had no cervical checks though. I like, I didn't want to know. 
I didn't want to know a number because if I felt like I was farther along, like if I felt like I should have been like an eight and I was told I was a four or a five, I knew it would mess me up in my head. And so I didn't have any cervical checks. He was born, um, right as the, as their ceremony was happening in our temple, like at the exact same time he was born. So when they were getting you married. weren't actually there. <laughs> I was not there. No, no, I stayed home. Like my, my husband's like, we're, we're not going to make it. He texts his mom. <laughs> We're not going to make it. Julie's in labor. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't leave the house. Once my doula showed up and everything got regular, I'm like, I was resigned to my fate. Like I'm not making the wedding. And so he was born on the day that they got married. And so it's really fun because every year when it's his birthday, I always text them. I'm like, happy anniversary. And they're like, happy birthday, Jacob. <laughs> and it's just a really fun story. And my midwife that I had had, like, I, I guess I should have talked about this before, but like, I interviewed several midwives. I think I said like four or five different midwives. And I knew that like when I found the midwife, I was supposed to have, I just knew I would know it. And the moment I walked into her birth center, she had a birth center as well. And I walked in there and I like my, my soul felt like it was home. I can't just explain it any other way, but like my, I felt like I just felt this peace and comfort and I knew that that was a midwife. And I would have just wrote her a check right there, except for I knew my husband takes longer time to make decisions than me. And so like, but like, honestly, she was so amazing. She'd done over a thousand births. She'd been a midwife for, for decades and just so, so amazing. In fact, and now I even doula, I was just at a birth with her a couple months ago as a doula. And so it's really fun fun to kind of come full circle like that. Yeah. Um, I knew I needed a doula and I knew I needed, a a better doula than what I had before. And I hate to like say that about newer doulas just because newer doulas have their benefits because when I like new doulas have this like gusto and like gumption and they're like so excited and they spend way more time with you and they're, and they're just, they have this excitement and not that like seasoned doulas don't have that excitement, but, um, I just, there's just something special I think about newer doulas. Um, although they don't have as much experience, but I, I knew I needed a doula that had had a VBAC by, of her own. I wanted one that had done a lot of births. I wanted no surprises. Right. And so I interviewed, like, I think a dozen doulas, like I would interview doulas and they follow up with me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I think you're a really great human, but I just don't feel like something's right. And the same thing with my doula, we met up at Chili's, I think for, for lunch. And again, I would have hired her on the spot, except for the whole husband thing. Like I knew, like, I knew that's was the doula we were going to hire. I just needed to give my husband to think that is his idea too. Right. So, <laughs> and I think a lot of that comes down to personality too. I mean, your yes. own personality, but then also your doula's personality and just how you click and knowing like you said, knowing exactly what you want in a doula, like knowing you want someone who has this experience or this experience or is knowledgeable in this specific thing. I think that can make a big difference too, especially, I mean, I think it's great that you interviewed like 12 different doulas. Some people don't have the option to do that, but I always tell people, like, even when people reach out to me for a consultation, I ask them like, have you had a chance to meet with some of the other doulas in the area, because I think that's so important for people to find that person that they click with and that they know is going to be the right person for them. Absolutely. And I think if I would have done that with my first doula, I don't know that, I think the birth outcome probably would have been the same, you know, 36 weeks failed induction cesarean. Um, but maybe it would have been with a different provider. Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you. So 
being in the doula world, you start to like know all the gossipy things about the providers and stuff like that. Well, my provider that did my cesarean section was known as the quilter because all of his cesarean stitches stitching was so beautiful. And every time a nurse came in to like do fundal pressure and check on my incision, every time I joke, you not every single time they would say, Oh my gosh, Dr. Blank. Cause I don't want to like call him out. I think he's retired now. Anyways, I'm like, Dr. So-and-so has such beautiful stitching. And like, it got to the point where I kind of wanted to smack them if they said that, because I'm yeah. like, I did not want this. Like, this was not my plan. I don't care if my stitching is ugly or beautiful. Like, yeah, how about you ask me how I'm important. doing? Right. Then I come to find out later that the nurses that worked with him, um, if it was basketball season, he had like season tickets to our local basketball team. And if it was basketball season and there was a game on that day and he had a client in labor, they knew that if that client wasn't progressed by a certain point that they would be rolling them down to the OR for a C-section so that he could make the game. That's That is straight from a nurse's mouth. Wow. I used to work with him. Oh my God. Yes. And I get that being an OB is really hard and demanding and taxing job, but there's some point, I mean, you got to have, I think sometimes it's easy experience. Yeah. Like something, I think it's easy to get caught up that everything, make everything so systematic rather than individualized care. And I think some providers are definitely better at providing individualized care in hospital and out of hospital as well. Um, So yeah. I guess I'm just kind of jumping around a little bit, but I have two more birth stories to share, but I'm just, I think I feel like I should just probably sum them up because. Um, well, I do have a question too. Was there. Oh, sure. Yes, please. Was there any like VBAC specific prep that you did during that pregnancy before you had your home birth? Okay. So I really wanted to make sure that my blood pressure did not get high again. And so like every time like go to the midwife, get my blood pressure taken, I would like have, I would be like. I feel like, I mean, okay, I need like three minutes to just do some breathing exercises because I'm stressed out and just like getting my blood pressure taken stresses me out even still to this day. Like I'll get a high reading on a blood pressure cuff and I'm like, just, just give me a couple minutes. Like give me some time to breathe because it's still like subconsciously is just like this. Whoa. Um, so I first, when I first changed out of hospital birth, because unfortunately most in-hospital providers just don't go over specific nutritional needs. They say, Hey, try not to gain too much weight. We're going to weigh you every pregnancy, make sure you eat healthy foods, whatever. Right. But I told her, I'm like, I, and she knew I had preeclampsia my first time. And so she gave me a list of things to do. She's like, you don't have to do all of these things. You don't even have to do half of them, but pick a few and do them. And it will help balance out your heart health and it will help your circulatory system and it will help your body get the nourishment it needs to kind of avoid high blood pressure. So I was like, cool. So I don't know that it necessarily even helped my VBAC, but I know that like, um, just common pregnancy ailments, it helped me with a lot. And so, um, in my third trimester, I would, um, first thing in the morning, I cut half a lemon and squeeze the juice into a cup and then fill it with like four to five ounces of water and drink that because the lemon, I don't know, some Japanese thing, <laughs> herbal something or other. It's apparently it's scientifically proven to help. Like <laughs> when you get that something or other into your system, it helps. Right. I don't know why it's been a long time. <laughs> and, um, and then I also ate like lots of potassium, um, rich foods like bananas, but also, did you know that a potato has six times the amount of potassium in it than a banana does? I did not. So know 
So that was a really good reason for me to get my baked potato and load it with like cheese and sour cream and, you know, vegetables or whatever. Um, but that's really, really good too. But also, um, every day I would take magnesium or Epsom salt baths with like two cups of magnesium, because when you can absorb that magnesium directly into the body, instead of having it go through like a supplement through your digestive system, it takes effect faster and more efficiently and effectively than it does when you um, take like an oral supplement. And so 20 minute plus Epsom salt bath every single night. And let me tell you what, it helped with my restless legs. It helped me have more energy. I had no high blood pressure readings at all my entire pregnancy. And that was like a big thing for me. I drank red raspberry leaf tea here and there, but I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, three cups a day. I did not eat a single date, (laughs) nothing at all. I was just really worried about not getting preeclampsia again. And so, you know, and I had a toddler chasing around, but I mean, I don't want to sound So I just, I don't want to sound (laughs) like I'm not practicing what I preach, but like, I wasn't very good at exercising. I'm still not Megan, Megan, the other half of the VBAC link is like the nutrition, nutritious, healthy one. I'm the like, eat my freaking pint of Ben and Jerry's half and half, half baked ice cream. There's there's a good balance of both. (laughs) Yes. And so, um, but I just try and I try to keep my stress really low and I I just really educated myself and supported myself with a community of people who really understood me and kind of like brushed off the people that didn't. And then I just keeping my stress levels down, I think was really important, not only for keeping my blood pressure down, but for just giving me the confidence to enter my birth space with a clear mind, because I'm sure, you know, as a doula, like the mind can seriously mess up the birth process. It seriously can. And so here I was a VBAC, which is like essentially like my cervix didn't really do anything. My, fr- I mean, dilated to a four, but whatever. But I, I had my baby at 38 weeks and six days. It was just nuts. And so, um, sometimes it's just all mental. Like I think 98% of the battle is mental. Granted, there are some things that, that just come up. And sometimes I tell this to my clients that end up with either repeat cesarean or even cesarean as a first time mom, like Sometimes like big chunk of birth is education and preparation, getting your mind right, surrounding yourself with the right birth team and the right provider. But there is a good portion of birth that is just luck. And sometimes even the best prepared and most educated people get dealt a really bad hand or maybe not a bad hand, but like a hand that they did not want to have or did not help them have the birth that they wanted. And you have to work with the hand you get dealt. And sometimes that working with that hand leads you to a cesarean or repeat cesarean. And sometimes looking back, like there, I'm sure that there are some things I could have done differently, like maybe not working as much or whatever, you know, but I think sometimes it's really easy to go back and question like your circumstances, but just remember you were working with the hand that you got dealt and just because you didn't know X, Y, Z or you should have done X, Y, Z or whatever. You didn't know that at the time you were making the best decisions based on the information that you had at that moment. And that was the hand you were dealt. And it's okay that it's a sucky hand and it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel really bad that you got dealt a bad hand. Um, but it's also okay to feel happy that you have a a baby too. And those feelings can exist in the same space Mm -hmm. and processing it through and working through those feelings from a birth that did not turn out as best that you wanted. It is 
really, really important. That, yeah. that speaks to me <laughs> a lot because I, I just remember feeling kind of like that. Like after my son was a C-section, I was like, I planned a home birth. I did all the things during my pregnancy. I drank the red raspberry leaf tea. I went to a chiropractor every single week. I, I was out walking. I was exercising, whatever, whatever. And I was mad. I was like, how, how did I end up with the C-section when I did everything in quotes, right? I did yeah. everything I'm supposed to do. And I remember feeling too, because I was a doula, I was like, how am I supposed to support women to have these beautiful, natural births that they're coming to me that they want when I couldn't have one myself? And mm -hmm. it took that reframing and processing through everything that happened to be able to say, well, maybe there wasn't anything I could have done and stop like nitpicking everything that yeah. happened. Like if I had done this differently or if I had done this differently or if I had just done this, maybe things would have been different. But now being like having more space and time between that experience and where I'm at now, I also know I wouldn't be the doula that I am now if I wouldn't have had that birth experience. This podcast would not exist if I didn't yeah. have that experience. And you can probably speak to that too with mm -hmm. your own platform with the VBAC link. Like mm -hmm. sometimes you have to go through those undesirable or sucky situations to be able to, I guess, like find a better purpose with it. Or at least that's how I feel with yeah. this is I, I was able to do something with it. And now I can help other women who are maybe in similar circumstances or kind of walking down that same path, be able to be there as a support. But then also for my friends who have had C-sections or maybe have tried for a VBAC and not been able or not had a repeat C-section, it's, it's just a different level of understanding in that way too. Like I, I can understand that. Whereas some people who haven't been through that experience don't know how to understand that. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. There's so much power with so, uh, that comes from support from someone that has been where you are, even though like there's overall circumstances may have been different, but like there's just, and that's why it was so important to me to have a doula that had had a VBAC because she, uh, she knew what it went through to, to have a C-section and she knew what it took to overcome and, and to have that, to have a VBAC. Um, Megan, my business partner with the VBAC link had two C-sections. She tried for a VBAC and she went back to the same doctor and she became a doula after her second cesarean. And she faced very similar feelings that you were just describing. Like, man, I've had two C-sections. Like, why would anybody hire me to support them? Um, but they did. And she helps many people. She helped many people. She still continues to help many people. And her having had two C-sections brings such such a better um, dynamic and balance to the VBAC link because she tried for a VBAC and ended up in a repeat cesarean. So she can relate to that group of people who didn't get to have that birth experience that they fought so hard for the second time. Um, and so I feel like it's really helpful to have that and it balances out. And you're right. Like our trials and the things that we suffer and struggle through, if we, if we learn from them and work to heal from them, we can help so many people. And it's just all of life. It's just all of life. Like being, just being able to relate to someone and say, I get you, I hear you. And I know you're not okay right now. And it's okay to not be okay right now. Absolutely. Um, so then take us to your other two birth stories. Take us through those. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So my third pregnancy was a surprise. 
I, cause I, I call it, I have to call it a surprise because I get in trouble if I call it an accident. <laughs> people are like, you know, that there's people that try for years to get pregnant and by you calling it accident just discredits their experience. And so I don't want to discredit anybody's experience, but I do want to also like bring awareness that there is, that there is definitely so much struggle going with trying so hard to conceive, but there's also struggle in, in getting pregnant when you are not prepared for another baby as well. And just because those two struggles are very opposite doesn't mean that either suffer any less than the other one. It's just a different kind of, of pain and frustration. And so I hate, I hate talking about it like in a negative way. Um, because I do acknowledge that there are people out there struggling, struggling, and I should be grateful that my body is so fertile or whatever people have said to me, lots of different things. And, and, you know, everyone has their opinion, but, um, I was in a really deep depression. Like I had had the perfect birth, the birth of my dreams. It could literally not have gone any better except maybe being born the next day. So I could have made it to the wedding, you know, but other than that, like I really, there was nothing to complain about. Perfect birth team, perfect doula, perfect support for my husband. My, my mom made it up time. My mother-in-law was there. Um, my son got to come in and see his baby brother right after he was born. And it was just a really cool experience. But I had so many expectations on myself as a mom because with my first breastfeeding didn't work out really well right away, like at all. And so, but I knew, I knew that if I had just had a vaginal birth and had the proper hormone release and was able to bond with my baby, that breastfeeding would work, but it didn't. It didn't, it didn't work for any of my pregnancies, but I have, I have since been diagnosed with um, Hashimoto's. So I have thyroid issues and uh, insufficient glandular tissue. And so I just didn't make enough milk, but I refused to like give into the formula, you know, like I had this expectation of myself as a mother, right? All I should need is a boob and a baby to make it work, but it didn't, it didn't work. And I, I got donor milk for many, many, many women and formula and, and we fed the baby and he got fed and he was nourished and it, and it was good. And I wish I could go back to myself and say, have mercy on yourself. Be kind to yourself because you are nourishing your baby and there's not one right way to do that. And yes, we can all agree that breast milk has, is, has really, really good benefits, but if it's not enough to feed your baby, then your baby's not going to grow and develop in the right way. And so it's okay to not be able to feed your baby the right way. And I'm using air quotes because I get so frustrated when I see even on doula groups or whatever, like, why would you not encourage breastfeeding or whatever? And some, anyways, I could get off on another tangent there, which I won't, but I was in the middle of deep depression and anxiety, like really bad. I've been on medications. I was still trying to adjust and figure that out. Um, I remember just sitting on the floor one day in my bedroom, having to go downstairs because our master bedroom was on the main, um, upper floor. And then our kitchen and living area was on the main floor. And I had my brand new two-year-old and my brand new baby, both of them in my arms crying. And I was crying. Everyone was just like wailing, crying because I'm like, how am I supposed to carry two babies downstairs at the same time? Because I couldn't, because the second baby was too little to support himself. Like I still needed two arms to carry him, but who do I leave upstairs alone crying? And I just remember that's like, so such a really big moment, like sticks out in my mind and kind of describes my postpartum experience. Even though I had had this perfect, beautiful birth, my postpartum was really ugly mentally. Right. 
And so it was in that space that I got pregnant by surprise. I know exactly I conceived because I was also very stingy with my um, physical affection. And I was switching, we were switching birth controls because I wondered if the hormones on the birth control I was on contributed to um, my depression. And so I ended up in the doctor's office because I, well, I thought I had a toothache or a cavity, right? So I went to the dentist and then it's like, Hey, your teeth look fine, but let me show you how, how infected your sinuses are that they're pushing it up against the nerves of your teeth. <laughs> My sinus infection was so bad. And I was like, well, that's strange. Okay. So I go to the doctor for a sinus infection and it turns out I had an ear infection, a double ear infection and a sinus infection. And I was like, holy cow. Like I never get this sick. The only time I've been this sick is when I've been pregnant. And then like my mind, like my eyes popped open wide and I was like, holy crap. Because I'm like, okay, well thinking back to like my cycle and I was only like seven months postpartum or seven or eight months postpartum at this point. And I'm like, it's okay if things weren't regular. I wasn't really paying attention. And so I go to the pharmacy, buy a pregnancy test, come home and sure enough, I'm pregnant. And I was sobbing. I like walk out of the bathroom with my pregnancy sick and I show my husband and I am like, just like wailing, like, Oh my gosh, this is so awful. This is so hard. Why is this happening? And he's like ecstatic. He like picks me up, swings me around the room. He's like, this is so awesome. And I'm like, why can you say that? Like, like I knew we were going to have more kids. It wasn't a question of whether you're going to have more kids or not, but I was just so mentally in a bad place. I was not ready for it at all. And so I was like pissed off for about mm, six months. Like, I'm like, not even kidding. I was just really upset and angry and trying to resolve this pregnancy. Right. And so I had a lot of mental work to do. And luckily I, I was working with a provider that, uh, like, a my primary care physician and a mental health provider to help get my medications adjusted and working through therapy and everything. And I had so much personal work to do to get ready for my, my baby, because I, I, as much as I didn't want to have a baby that close in age to my second, I wasn't ready to be pregnant again. I also didn't want my baby to be born in an environment that wasn't 100% ready to receive her with open and loving arms. And so I remember like spending just a few days, just straight. I was just connecting with God and connecting with myself and connecting with my baby and trying to get in a really right spot. And, um, it took, it took some time, but I got, it was, it, I got to a point in my third trimester where I was actually really excited to meet my little girl. I had two boys and I was ready to meet a girl and my, my baby, my second still felt so much like a baby. And it was really funny because at 37 weeks, like on the dot, like 37 weeks, zero days, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning to my water breaking. And I was like, checking. I was like, I was like, my water just broke. This is like a replay of last time. Right. I'm like, what's going on? And my husband's like, are you sure you didn't just pee? And I'm like, if you could see the puddle I'm sitting in, (laughs) why don't you get up and help me a little bit? And so, so (laughs) he, uh, got up and sure enough, it was my water. I called my midwife for like checking dates to make sure like I could still do a home birth because I mean, that's the one thing I guess that, and most States are like, if you are not to term, then you have to give birth in a hospital, right? Just for uh, the complications that could come with prematurity. But sure enough, she was 37 weeks on the dot, even by some ultrasound or by 
my LMP, she was 37 weeks and two days, but by my dating scan, she was 37 weeks. And so we're like, okay, we still do this. Except my midwife is in Alaska. I ended up with a backup midwife um, come to my birth, but um, I called my doula. Everybody showed up, but like I had my baby shower that day. So like I showed up to my baby shower. I, I show up there and I'm like sitting on the birth ball, like doing hip circles. And everyone's like, all right, let's make bets on when Julie's going to have her baby. And I'm like, you better bet today because I'm in labor right now. <laughs> and um, it was just really fun. It was just really fun experience. But I but then I came home from the baby shower and I cut my husband's hair and I cut my son's hair. And then my doula was still with me and like contractions were like kind of intense sitting down in the car. Like I had to like pick myself off the seat, but they weren't really regular and they weren't coming in like a consistent pattern. And so I sent my doula home and I'm like, I think I need to go upstairs and just stop doing things. And so I went upstairs and I laid down and my contractions were like 12 minutes apart 16 minutes apart, but like I would, when they came, I would like have to get on my hands and knees and do that like loud vocalization. And I was like, what is this? Like my contractions are 10 to 12 minutes apart. So one came like 20 minutes apart. Like I'm like, what, but then, but then I'm having to vocalize through them so strongly. I'm like, am I just a wimp? Like what's going on? And my husband was working cause he was working the weekend and he like poked his head in the bedroom door and he's like, are you okay in here? Like, can I help you? And he's like, and I'm just like, no, I'm just trying to have a baby in here. And he's like, okay, fine. Like close the door. <laughs> Bye. And so I like was having these conversations with myself in my head and my contractions were like eight to 12 minutes apart. I'm like, if I was my own doula, what would I say to myself? And I said, self go based on how they feel and not how far apart they are. And then I'm like, self they're eight to 12 minutes apart. <laughs> like This is not real labor. And then the contraction would come and I would be on my hands and knees doing all I could to like, not just like, or to, I just vocalizing. I couldn't even help it. You know, those really loud labor noises. And so my midwife texted me and she was like, um, well, you know, um, how's it going? Should I come over? And I'm like, yeah, at this point I was like, yeah, just come over. Like everyone come back, photographer, come back, doula, come back. Midwife can come in. She can check me. She can tell everyone I'm three centimeters. Everyone can go home and then come back in the morning and we'll have a baby. Right. That was what it was in my mind. Well, she got there and just by fetal heart tones, she's like, this baby is so low. If you want your videographer to get here in time, you probably better call her right now. And cause it was going to take her 30 minutes to get there. Right. And sure enough, an hour after my midwife showed up 15 minutes after my videographer showed up and my doula had showed up right around the time the midwife did. Um, I pushed her out in three pushes and my contractions did not get closer than eight minutes apart until the last 20 minutes of her birth. It was That's incredible. The strangest labor. And like it was so strange. Time, you said your last labor was so textbook too. So to yeah, it was. Different. So I was, and I knew like labor progression, three to five minutes apart for an hour long or whatever, but I was not getting in that three to five minute apart stage. In fact, even when I was pushing my contractions were like four minutes apart, I had this like nice long rest and she came out in three pushes, but it's really funny. Like how I was just, even though like, that's why you can't do it yourself. Right. Yep. Like, ah, I just like, gosh, dang it. Like I should have just known better, but I mean, it went fine. It wasn't like, it wouldn't have been any different if they would have got there any sooner, but, um, but that was fun, fun birth. And then right the day after she was born, I looked into her, her eyes and I knew we had to have another one. I knew there was another baby in her life. And it wasn't because like I was writing the V back high, you know, or whatever. It was just a feeling like I just knew 
there was one more and it was a girl. So I told my husband, I'm like, so how long are we going to wait before we try to get pregnant again? <laughs> and he's like, wait, wait, you just had a baby like 12 hours ago. And I was like, I know, but like, I just, I feel like there's another baby. He's like, you know, I mean, I think we can wait a little bit before we try and decide this. And I'm like, okay, but I just want you to know, like, I want to start trying as soon as you're comfortable with it. He was like, what's what? wrong with you? Like, you do like, just enjoy this one. Can you just enjoy this one for a minute? And, and so, um, so I did, I enjoyed her very much. I still enjoy her very much. She's four and a half now. And so we got, and so from my first VBAC to my second VBAC, they're just 15 months apart. And so then, um, we started trying for baby number four. I, when I was like seven or eight months postpartum, I think my husband's like, just so long as it's a longer gap than between these last two. And so they, my last two ended up being 18 months apart. So a year and a half apart, almost exactly to the day. But I was expecting to have a baby before my due date because my first vaginal birth had come at 38 and six. And my second come at 37 and nothing. And so I was just getting ready for that 37, 38 range. Well, at 36 and a half weeks, I thought my water had broken. It turns out it was just a little bit of pee on the floor. I know it's super embarrassing, right? So we went from like trying to keep the baby in at 36 weeks to like trying to get the baby out after 39 weeks. But I would have prodromal labor every night for 24 days. I had prodromal labor. After dinner, it would start and right between like 10 and midnight, it would stop. It was regular contractions. They were coming every like five to seven minutes apart. They were not too intense, but intense enough, right? So I'd go hop in the bath with Epsom salts as like, you know, my, that's my prescription for everyone, even though we're not prescribers as doulas, but I'm just like two cups of Epsom salt, throw all that junk in there. Like you need enough to soak for 20 minutes. It like helps so many pregnancy problems. So I'd go soak in the tub labor would fizzle out and then I'd go to bed and wake up and same thing the next day. And so I started getting really annoyed because once I passed the point where I had had my first feedback, which was 38 and six, I might as well have been 44 weeks pregnant. And like everyone who goes past their due date, please do not, do not hit me because I know that going past your due date is a whole other set of feelings, but I might as well have been like emotionally I was done. I was having prodromal labor. My first baby had been born at 37 weeks and here I was 39 weeks pregnant. So I was two weeks longer than my last pregnancy in predominant labor every single night. I knew as a doula, like I knew how to help encourage good position. I knew I was hydrated. I was taking cramp bark. Like I was doing everything that I could to like, make sure I was hydrated, healthy, baby was in good position, all of those things. I was doing all of them. And so then I was just like, one day I, I, told my midwife, I'm like, I'm like, I'm just so done. And she's like, you know, normally I wouldn't suggest these things, but I feel like it might be beneficial for you if we just like did a little membrane sweep and see if that might help. And at this point, like I would never like as a doula, I have like kind of mixed views about membrane sweeps because sometimes it can just help to feel like you're doing something right. And there's some evidence that shows that it does shorten pregnancy by a day or two, but, um, but I was like, you know what? At that point, I didn't really know that. At that point, I just thought membrane sweeps were just cause a lot of cramping and gives you false hope, right? But I was like so desperate. I'm like, yes, come do a membrane sweep. She literally came to my house, did a membrane sweep. I had some cramping during the day and at night, and then it fizzled out. And um, again, and I was like, you know what? But I was three centimeters dilated. That was the only cervical tech I had gotten my last three pregnancies. So that was pretty cool. 
to not have that invasive, you know, to, I just, I just didn't want any fingers up in my vagina. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. there's no need. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a problem, I'll let you know, and we can do a cervical check. <laughs> that's was kind of my opinion. And so, but it was, I think two or three days later, um, I was doing my usual prodromal labor thing. It was past midnight. They still weren't slowing down. I'm like, gosh, this is really annoying. Um, what the heck? Like, why is my prodromal labor not stopping? And so then I tried to lay down and go to sleep. And then I, then I like made a noise through a contraction. It was like three o'clock in the morning. I made a noise and I was like, what? I was like, am I just being dramatic? Like, what is this noise making? I'm like, I'm going to try and not make a noise. The next contraction. Like, I remember thinking this to myself, I'm going to remember and not make a, try and not make a noise through the next contraction. And if I, if I have to make a noise, like if I can't stop myself, then I might call in my midwife. And then sure enough, I, I made a noise. I could not help it. And then I'm like, okay, okay, let's give it one more contraction just to make sure. And sure enough, next contraction I was vocalizing. I'm like, holy bananas. Like this actually might be it. So I wake up my husband and he's like, should I call the midwife? Should I like, do you want me to like, um, start filling up the birth tub? I'm like, mm, well, you know, and then like a contraction come out. I'd be like, Oh, you don't like the contraction. He's like, why don't I just call them and just like give them a heads up. And at this point it was like four o'clock in the morning and my midwife and my photographer were like, okay, I'm on my way. They all came right away. And not long after my husband had woken up, like he was filling up the birth tub and there's like an inch of water in it. And I'm like, holy bleep. I'm like, okay, I feel like I might probably definitely most likely maybe be in labor right now. Where's my water? I need to be in the water. Cause like I had water birth before and like, I was going to have like a land birth this time, you know, like try and not do it in the water. But man, once those things got intense enough, I was like, I need my water. My husband's like, you just asked me to start filling it up like five minutes ago. It's going to take a little bit longer. But after that, man, she, she came really fast. So I started calling the birth team about four o'clock. They all showed up um, a little before five. My kids woke up around seven o'clock and my mother-in-law showed up just after that to like help watch the kids. And then she was born just before seven and she, this is the night of the, you know, it was three years ago. It was a full blue super moon. So it was like three moon events in one night. It was that night. It was like that dawn of after that night that she was born. I tell everyone, so my water did not break with her until three minutes before she was born. I have the video of myself, like uh, the raw cut, the raw version of my video where I say, Oh, there's my water. Cause like, I felt it like who shot me in the tub. And then from that time, I swear she was at the top of my birth canal. I don't even think she was zero station. Cause like my third baby, I felt her like move through in like three stages. Like I could feel her descending through my birth canal, but no, this little baby, her, the water broke. I swear she was at the top of the birth canal. And then the next contraction, she flew out of me like a rocket ship. Like she didn't even stop at the shoulders, just head, body and everything just bloop right out. I just felt so intense. Like that, that's what I felt like. Just like a rocket ship flying out of your vagina. It's the best thing I can describe it as like, she just flew out of me. Like we've been in labor for 21 days. Right. You had done the work already. (laughs) I I mean, I probably think that, yeah, it was definitely time, but it was just interesting how like every birth is just so different, even though like my first two started out really similar, but like the whole eight to 12 minute part contraction thing just totally threw my mind off. And then the prodromal labor thing, I just like, my gosh, like, is this baby ever going to come? Am I going to be pregnant forever? Like, 
what's going, like, what am I doing? And then again, like just being in denial when it was the real thing is, but it's cool because I think all my different birth experiences can kind of help me relate to my clients in better ways. Yeah, man. Holy cow. That was fun. Like (laughs) there's so many more details, but I feel like I could talk about my births for like a whole day. I think we all can probably, but, um, but yeah, very different journeys, very different experiences. And I, I love all of my children equally, even the one that I was grumpy about being pregnant with at the beginning. And, um, it's a really fun journey. I feel like I'm at that stage of motherhood now where, so my youngest just turned three and so they all get up in the morning and they come downstairs and my seven-year-old gets like breakfast out for everyone. And me and my husband kind of like sleep in bed until like eight o'clock or so. Well, early to like seven o'clock on school days, but on the weekends we can like sleep until eight. And I'm like, this is really cool. And then my three-year-old, um, usually doesn't make very many messes before we wake up. And I feel like it's just kind of a different set of motherhood, you know, like the newborn stage has its challenges and it's, and it's fun things. And as with every age, but I feel like I'm just kind of growing out of like having babies. Now I have toddlers and it's, it's a big shift for sure. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share all of your stories. And then again, thank you for everything you do with the VBAC link and being willing to talk about that too. Just so if anyone is listening, that doesn't know about that resource, they can go and check all of that out. Yeah, absolutely. You can find us at the VBAC link anywhere. And thanks again for having me. Sorry, it's kind of a little bit long, but man, I just can't spare some of the details with my stories. I am not not known for being brief. That is for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.